when you want to make accomplishments, they got to be really inside of you. They got to be real. They can't just be, okay, I'd like to do that. They got to be meaningful. From Rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Aarons, and this is Design Of. And today is just a super special episode. Not only did I have the opportunity to interview one of the great athletes of uh, not only Olympic history, but college history, I also get to welcome back Wills Francis. One of the greatest um, co-hosts, if I might add, in all of history. That's, in my opinion, that's... Oh, yeah, of course I'd agree. You know, I think not a lot of people know this, but this whole show was originally your idea. You know, this was... um, it was a, a joint effort, if I remember correctly, and I think I do, that, um, that this was a brainchild, a meeting of the minds, you might say. And, you know, from that little baby idea, now what are we in? What is this, season five, six? Season six. And I love the fact that you are able to come back during literally an episode where it may be the most dominating athlete that we've ever had the opportunity to interview. Yeah. Yeah. I was so excited to be back for this one. And um, I think everybody's really, really going to love this episode. And I can't wait to show it with you. (laughs) I thought you were going to say everyone's going to really, really love me being back. They're going to, they will love me being back too, I think. Well, Hey, let's get, let's get right into it. So Dan Gable is a truly world-class athlete and one of the most decorated coaches in collegiate and Olympic history. I sat down with Dan, digitally speaking, of course, to hear the stories and mindset of the man behind the medals. Do you remember as a kid, what was it about wrestling that just worked for you? Because it's a, it's a unique sport. There's no question, right? Yeah. Uh, it's so unique that, you know, we need uh, smart scientists right now. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> we're one of the sports that's probably the worst just from a standpoint of uh, in togetherness in battle you know football's probably a little rough but wrestling you're breathing right in the guy's face and and uh it's one-on-one and it's a battle but uh there are rules and that's good because if there weren't weren't rules and then there could be a lot of uh, angriness and probably more of a, a fight of a fist fight it's a good sport. In fact, you know, it's there's so many disciplines in wrestling that if a good coach gives you those chance to to in, instill them in yourself, that you'll carry them on forever. Uh, you know, I I was born into a wrestling community, but that wasn't just my sport. From a young age, it was clear Dan's energy and appetite for discipline needed to be channeled into sports. The local YMCA gave him the structure he needed to explore his athletic ability. My mom and dad needed help. They needed help with this kid. Right away, by the time I was four years old, they enrolled me into the YMCA. Even though I had four good years, I'm not talking about perfect parents, but I'm talking about good parents that took looked out after their kids. But, but my dad and mom knew that they needed something as early as four years old to, to get me into an organization that would also help them raise a good kid. Wills, Dan's earliest athletic achievements were in his early school years when he swam, played football, and baseball. 
but he soon stumbled into the sport of wrestling, partly because he just wasn't big enough for the football team. That makes two of us. So you were you were bound to be a wrestler, but let's just try to get down to and and maybe and maybe it's it has to be older. But when did you decide that I'm going to be a wrestler? Now I'm going to be a great wrestler. Was there a moment, or was it gradual? There was a moment. There was a moment uh, in tenth grade. I showed up. High school started in tenth grade. At that in those years. Yeah. So going into tenth grade, I showed up for the team meeting for football initially, probably at the end of August. I just remember that when I went to the meeting, there was the wrestling coach who was famous at the time. Bob Siddons uh, was at the football, on the football coaching staff and coaching some of the positions. So I came out, and and he walked up to me, and I looked. I he he said, you know, are you looking around a little bit? And I go, well, yeah, I'm looking around a little bit. Yeah, what do you mean? He goes, uh, uh, you're looking up. What do you mean? I said, well, every time you're looking up to talk to somebody, you. Are looking up, and they're bigger than you. <laughs> You're bigger than you, and uh, you know we need a little lightweight guy this year. And uh, you know that position's open, but uh, I don't want you getting hurt. He said, "I don't want you getting hurt." Uh, I'm not so sure about this football for you, Justin. You've been a football player. You've been a cyclist. What is the worst thing about practicing and training? Well, I think the worst thing is the early season practice. You know, yes. like for football, you had summer double days where you would practice, you know, twice in a day. And you knew the first game was like, you know, a month or months away. Or, you know, training for big rides when it's just nasty and gross out. And, you know, you're four or five months away from a ride. What about you with, with swimming? Oh, the early morning, 6 a.m., jumping in a cold pool. But the crazy thing about Dan is that he saw the value in getting in a few hours worth of training before school. So he even asked his coach if he could start a morning practice for him and his teammates. Yeah, this is what makes him great. Guess what? I was the only guy going. You know, maybe there was a couple guys try it, but they didn't like it. Especially when they got there and they saw this crazy guy running sprints, climbing rope, doing push-ups, shadow wrestling, uh, you know, doing chins. But before too long, his training started to pay off and people started noticing. I make the team, I go 1-0, I go 2-0, I go 3-0, I go 4-0, I go 5-0, I go 6-0. He goes a lot in those. 7-0, all of a sudden I'm putting that key in the door, and as I open the door, somebody hits me in the back. I look, it's one of my teammates. But it was one guy that said, hey, I think I'm going to join you. And then all of a sudden, two guys joined me. All of a sudden, three guys joined me. Four guys joined me. But you know what? I'm still winning. They weren't going to go. They they know this guy's running. He's doing all this stuff before school, but they weren't going to go if I didn't have success. So that's the thing. There's got to be a lot of stuff that's set up and works out pretty good before you're going to get everybody, just because people have to see the rewards. As Dan's high school athletic career started to take off, his family endured an unimaginable tragedy, one that would stay with Dan for the rest of his life. So I, I won a state championship and of course, my sister's, you know, she's there right in my hometown. Uh, and so I'm walking to school and I'm not going at the early time now just because it's after the season. And 
this guy is walking. We happened to kind of bump into each other. And I knew who he was. He was a neighbor, but he lived about a block on the same street down and around the corner. He just says, hey, Dan, uh, you you did a really good job in, in wrestling, you know, winning the state championship as a sophomore. And I said, thanks, you know, thanks. I had never really hooked up with him before. You know, we did we had two different types of personalities. All of a sudden, he said something to me. He said, he mentioned Diane, my sister, who was four years older than me and probably three years older than himself. And he just said, you know, wow, she is really a, a really good looking gal. And what is she doing? And, uh, you know, and I, I told her, she, you know, she, I think she was, I think she went to flight school after college. She just graduated from our, after a high school and she was 19 at the time. And uh, she had actually went to one year of flight school and decided she didn't really want to do that. But so she was coming back home shortly and, and, uh, and he was going to go to work for my dad, the realtor. So he did, he, he said a couple remarks that weren't good, but not like bad, like from a more like boy talk. And he, you know, he kind of got excited. And so actually, you know, I was thinking about it and I was almost going to come home and, and say something to my parents or my sister about had this conversation but I didn't for some reason I just let it go I thought it was like I said boy talk uh but you know I was a mistake you know mistake in communication because you hear something and if you don't get it out you know there might be something there of importance and obviously this was so probably no more than within six weeks time period. Uh, uh, my, myself and my family, we, we, we rented a cabin up in Northeast Iowa to go fishing. And my sister who run my dad's office stayed home that Friday night and was gonna drive, drive up and, and, and meet us up in, in uh, Harper's Ferry, Iowa. And uh, the next day when she was supposed to arrive, she, she didn't show. Mm. And so got a little nervous. And at that time, a cabin we had, I mean, I'll date myself here. It was four bucks a night, a cabin. So, and there was no phones, no cell phones. You didn't have uh, even phone in the cabin, but there was a pay phone maybe a block away. And so my dad and mom and myself got into that pay phone. When didn't, she was about two hours late. So we went to the pay phone and we were in the car and my dad was talking on the, on the phone put a nickel in there or whatever you can and called the neighbor and the neighbor said her car was still in the driveway so you know we were getting nervous so we had the neighbor go down and uh and he reported back to us how he got in the house was the front door was locked but the back door the window had been broken in and the door was open and he went in and he found her uh uh, he found her dead body, and uh, it was quite an experience for me. I'm in the back seat. I'm a 15-year-old kid and watching a mom and dad go through this agony and not really knowing what took place, just knew that their, their other 
daughter or the other her other sibling was uh, dead and uh, not really understood it why, but they had to quickly go back. My mom jumped out of the car, ran down to the cabin. Uh, we quickly walked into the cabin. My mom, I, I witnessed this with a 15 year old kid witnessed watching. She had her hands on her hair and she was throwing, she was hitting her forehead against the, the wooden floor and she looked up and she had blood coming down, of course. And uh, we just jumped in the car and headed towards Waterloo and about five miles into the into the convert into the uh, trip, I said something to my mom and dad. And I said, "You know, I might know something about this." And you know, like they're all already, already kind of hysterical. And uh, my dad pulled the car over, walked around, opened my car door, grabbed me, <laughs> smacked me against the car hard. What do you mean you might know something about this? I said. And now, when I was gonna communicate the month before, the six weeks before that, about this conversation I had with this guy, I communicated right then with him. And he just, you know, hugged me and shoved me back in the car. And the next town we stopped, which was a small town in Iowa, and went to the police station and we went, we went in there and told him the story. My dad did, and they called the police in our hometown and gave him the information. And it was the right information. Uh, you know, it was one of these things that uh, they picked him up for questioning. He was working in a uh, grocery store sacking groceries when actually they went in, and he admitted it right there. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's, you got to live with that kind of stuff, you know, and, and, uh, for me, uh, it was a really, a lesson that was really hard to learn, but it's one that I'm probably really super sensitive on from a standpoint of communication. I'm probably too much of a communicator. I'm going through four daughters. I had four daughters, the wife, my Kathy and my four daughters. I, I you don't, you can't re believe how many times when they left to go in somebody's car or somewhere where I repeated the same thing over again. Like, now you guys, no driving, no drinking, you know, I mean, you know, that type of stuff. And just, it's um, put me on edge for my whole life from a standpoint of really a positive point of view, but, uh, maybe super sensitive a little bit. It's affected my whole life in a positive way. And I hate to say that, even though it's a negative thing, it's uh, when it comes right down to making decisions and between good and bad decisions, I, I've made a lot more good decisions because of, uh, of that incident. Is it um, appropriate to say that, although that was a horrible, tragic event for your family, that that in some way propelled you athletically um, in some way? Yeah, so for sure. Here's here's the thing. It, for some reason, all this good upbringing that I was getting between my home and between the YMCA and doing good in sports gave me an opportunity to uh, 
be pretty of sound mind and body. And my mom and dad, who they, they like drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, and that was pretty much the thing to do in this town and everywhere probably, but uh, they weren't going to get over it. Not that you get over it, but they, it was a subject of conversation many nights, many nights, and many through many beers, through many cigarettes. And it was one of these things that I laid in bed and listened to them. I laid in bed and listened to them. And it wasn't going to work for them. It was not going to work for them. Well, really quick, did you blame yourself for a while? I, I have guilt, yes. Hmm. But I can handle it mm-hmm. because it's created a lot of good things. And, and, and what by that I'm saying, it's driven me to ex- expertise. It's driven me to a lot of things, but it kept, in the long run, it kept a mom and dad together because of an incident. But then they had a kid that went on to do historic things as an athlete, but then as a coach. No wrestler Justin, could you just break it down for us how prolific Dan Gable was in his high school, college, and Olympic years? All right, Wills, I'm going to ask you some questions. You tell me what you think. If you wrestle all through high school and you never lose a match, is that good? That's good. That's cr- One might even say that's, that's pretty good. I think that's brilliant. So Dan never lost a match in high school. Then you go to college and you wrestle for one of the best wrestling schools in the country and you win every single match except for your very last one. Is that good? That is incredible. So just in those two school seasons alone, he went 181 and one. He's about to become a three-time national champion except he lost his last match. And then he goes to the Olympics where the Russians dominated us forever. And I don't know if you know about this, Wills. But if you are the best wrestler in the world, you win a gold medal. <laughs> That's pretty good. What do you think? That is pretty good. Hey, I did see an interview where after he lost that match his senior year of college in the NC2As, he says, then I got good. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Yeah, it's, cra- it's crazy. He just got so good that he beat the unbeatable Russians. Amazing. Now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna name some moments and I am Dan I want you to hear me say that these are not at all equal in in um, in pain right so you you have this tragedy with your sister that seems to definitely have motivated you to outwork seemingly everyone for 181 wins and then your last uh, college match to be a three-time champion right you lose and you talked about that there was some things there that you thought you could have done Um, and then and then so so like what did that particular loss you know kind of propelling you into the the world games into olympics did that loss motivate you to help you win the gold medal (laughs) had i not had that loss i'm not sure i would have won the gold medal i might have 
but my chances were much higher because of having a loss and realizing why I had that loss. And that also helped me become a better coach, but or as later on. You don't want to look ahead too far. You only look ahead in, in vision and in thought. But, you know, I probably took for granted that I was going to win the national title uh, my senior year, especially uh, going into the championships. But you also never take for granted that there's something that somebody out there is going to challenge you. Well, here we go. There's the champion, Dan Gable, hasn't lost in high school or college. He's a senior, 21 years old, against Larry Owings, who's a sophomore. And this guy did a good job of, uh, I call it a sneak attack. Yeah, I watched, I watched the match and, and, and listened to some of your teammates' commentary. And I think one of the most impactful ones was they just always thought you were going to pull it off. But then one of the guys said, for the first time ever, I, Dan looked tired. Well, there's a reason. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was tired in other matches. Not because it wasn't the first time only, but it was the first time only I realized I was tired. First period, there Owens goes again on an underarm spin and a roll through. Beautiful move. I think in the first 30 seconds of the match, we get into a flurry. And I get a, I come up to a bear hug. And I went one way, and then it wasn't working, so I stepped across and went another way, and it wasn't working. But then we went on a bounce, and the referee blew the whistle. But I remember when the referee blew the whistle, when I unlocked my hands, I took a big breath, and I go, oh, I'm a little tired. I feel weak. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're telling yourself that one less than one minute into a seven-minute match, and I mean, your focus was on the wrong thing. Obviously, I hadn't warmed up properly. I wasn't focused on the match. I was, I was able to observe, observe and do things that I wasn't able to do before. Instead of focusing on what you're supposed to be focused on, you know, I could all of a sudden the crowd would make a cheer, and I could hear the crowd cheering. I never heard the crowd cheering before. You know, I never knew I was tired in a match. Now there's only three seconds remaining. Owings is leading. Not 13-9 with a riding time. The final score, there it is. 13-11. And for the first time in high school or his intercollegiate career, Dan Gable, after 181 in a row, has lost to the sophomore from the University of Washington, Larry Owens, being swept off his feet by his coach, Jimmy Smith. And there is a very unhappy Dan Gable being greeted by Coach Harold Nichols. The one thing he didn't do is he didn't really know how to handle the win. I ended up learning how to handle the loss because I say that match made me. And the reason why is because now I went back 365 and I went back and I didn't make the same mistake again. You know, I would prepare more. And what really, really, um, what really helped me, and this is what's kind of interesting, and this is what I really like talking to you about. Because I don't know what Rule 29 is. That's okay. Um, but, you know, you you have something in here that says, uh, life is a short-term gift. Design is creating 
of a plan to maximize it. Uh, and you're involved in design, I believe, quite a bit. Yeah. And to me, uh, I was an athlete that was dedicated, extremely dedicated, extremely worked hard, outworked everybody, but I really didn't break down the sport as much as I could have. And so I look at what you call design and I kind of call it the science or the art of the sport of wrestling. It's, to me, it's kind of similar. Yeah. And uh, when I lost that match, it gave me the chance to actually analyze and critique my own wrestling. And that was the one thing that I was not doing well. I was not designing my wrestling enough. I was not being an artist. I was not uh, being a guy that uh, looked into the science of the sport and the skills, the strategies, the tactics. You know, I was just one tough guy. But all of a sudden, I took on that, what you call design, which is what, one of the reasons why I really like talking to you right now. The best wrestlers in the world over history in the, in, a, in the world has been the Russians. And that's what they focus on. They focus on artistic moves. They focus on the design of wrestling. And, uh, but they didn't focus on the toughness, see? So once I, I, there's this guy named Gable, he's got the toughness, but also now he's getting the design or the art. And that is what made a huge difference for me in my career. Following a historic collegiate career, Dan set his sights on an Olympic gold medal, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best wrestlers in the world. And you better believe that the Russians, who as he said were a wrestling powerhouse, had their eyes on Dan. You know, Will, he was like a real Rocky. All of a sudden, the Russians bow, they come out in a world press conference, and the headline was Russian uh, USSR vows to beat Gable at Munich Olympics. I hadn't even made the team yet. See, we're, they, they handpicked their people, but we had to actually go through a democratic uh, system and to make the team. So, but people, uh, you know, pretty much thought uh, they would think, how could I not be the guy? Because I just come off of Worlds and won the Worlds. And I just went to Russia and beat a lot of really good Russians. And I did it in a manner that they weren't used to. See, my style, they weren't used to that style. But uh, Which so was basically, not, not to, not, and I'm not trying to uh, reduce your style, but is it, is, it, is it a good summary to say that part of your style was you would, had a style where you would, you would outlast them, make them super tired, and then take advantage of them when they were tired? Well, both. I would come out from the beginning and go hard. Uh, and I was a man in motion, and I was a man trying to score from second one. And, you know, they're more of a tactical type. And But their crowd really liked me. Uh, the Russian, because they hadn't seen me. See, the Russians, when they go out, it's like two fingers standing right there. There's the two Russians right there. When they wrestle each other, they stand. Then all of a sudden, one makes a move. Then they stand. Then one makes a move. In a, in a, in a nine-minute match at a time, they might make one, two moves in a period. So you got six or seven moves that you can see. And those moves lead into some good flurries. 
Yeah. And so there's going to be some action. But when they wrestled me, they saw a guy who came out and went boom, 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 just like this all the time. And they didn't realize wrestling could be even more entertaining till they saw me. So what happened is uh, when I was um, uh, wrestling a tough Russian in, in this tournament in front of 12,000 Russians in Tbilisi, Georgia, uh, USSR, back in the day, all of a sudden, the guy couldn't keep up. And so when I ran back to the center and turned around, there was still a minute and a half left in the match, and I just pulled ahead of him, and he walked out of the arena in front of his home uh, Russians, 10 or 12,000 of them, and oh, they were he yelling. Quit? Huh? He quit? Yeah, he quit. <laughs> no mas, no mas. And, he, and, and when they're walking out, the crowd starts going crazy, yelling. And I thought they were gonna rush me. Yeah. But my coach walked over and said, Dan, don't worry about it. They are yelling your name. They are yelling. And, and see, I didn't know. See, my name's Gable. Not really, but anyway, my game, my name's because I got a long story there too. But anyway, so they were yelling, Gobble, Gobble. And I didn't understand it. And he said, Don't, you know, have no problem. They are really honoring you right now. They oh, are. So they're screaming your name and their accent. And right. oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's an historic moment, too. Seconds, and you will hear a lot of Americans who have gathered here to watch this match tonight. At Dan Gable, have won the gold medal at 149 and a half pounds. A regular decision for Dan Gable, and in my book, maybe the most dedicated athlete I've ever known. After you won the, the match and you're on the podium, do you have any memory of what went through your head as the flag was raising? You gotta remember, I pretty much knew I was gonna win. <laughs> I already made my mistake. Okay. And I learned from mistakes. And that's why my mom and dad were married for 50 plus years. That's why I've been married for 46 years. I made mistakes, but I don't usually make the same mistake twice. Once I got on that stand, I, I when they were playing the national anthem, my mom and dad were in the audience in Munich, Germany, but my sister was there with me in my mind. And I just remember her and, and the music kind of blurred out and for some reason she was there, right there, hugging me or congratulating me or or whatever. So, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing. But when that got done, cause that's the main thing I remember. Uh, my sister was there. And Dan Gable, uh, what can I say? You dedicated your life to it. You were up there in the stands and you just that gold medal. That meant that much. It sure did. This is, this is the tops in sports winning the Olympics thing. This is what I've been working for all my life. And I won it, and it's the greatest feeling I've ever had. Well, Dan, congratulations. Our congratulations. And I know out in Waterloo, Iowa, yeah, the bells are ringing. I hope so. I'm glad to bring it home. Dan Gable, who won at 149 and a half pounds. And when I got done and it got off, all of a sudden, a bunch of the teammates, because I had these Peterson brothers 
who won gold and silver that really weren't big names at that time. And they, and they were my teammates at Iowa State or one of them was and the brother came and lived with me. And so the effect and, and so again, it was kind of like that key in the door, you affect other people. And uh, so they started picking me up to carry me around. And I said, please put me down. I'm exhausted. I never admit that before. I never said to anybody <laughs> that I'm tired. I wouldn't admit that even right. if I was, which I was a lot of times, but I'd never admit it. I was more excited about probably the Petersons winning their gold medals and Wayne Wells winning their gold medals. We, we won six medals. We did really well on a team that they didn't know how we were going to do. But, you know, that, that's what make a difference. Following his gold medal performance, Dan loved the sport too much to walk away. He went back home to Iowa and started coaching. And it was here that Dan's power to influence and motivate people really began to shine. So, Wills, you know, have you had some good coaches? Oh, I've had some great coaches. So what kind of coach was Dan? Well, let me explain how spectacular he was as a coach. So after the Olympics, he went on to be the winningest coach from 1976 to 1997 winning 15 NC2A national wrestling team titles while compiling a career record of 355 and 21 and five. He coached 152 All-Americans, 45 national champions, 106 Big Ten champions, and 12 Olympians, including four gold medalists, one silver medalist, and three bronze medalists. That is an amazing coach. I think that's a pretty solid record. Even when those athletes participated for me, it wasn't just for them. I knew there was somebody in the stands that loved them. And it was probably their mom and dad. And I had been through all that. Hmm. And uh, uh, to me, anytime there was a big win for my kids on my teams, I would want to look and find the people that really there for them and I could see it in their face and their expression how much it meant for them you know and that's the motivation and that's the motivation to get you out of bed you know like we started out with you know there's got to be reasons it's just like my family uh, I got right now I have 13 grandkids I got a wife four daughters four uh, son-in-laws 13 grandkids a month up to five weeks up to 16 years, nine boys, four girls. I tell you, that's motivation. Winning 15 national championships as a coach, I don't want to just shove that off. I mean, obviously that's a that's an amazing thing, but it feels like, although I think you, I think it's fair to say that you, you value winning, you know, or or the, or the the let me rephrase that. It feels like you value the journey it takes to get you to win or lose, be in that position. If that. I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, that's good. But it feels like you. What, what really motivates you, even as a, as an athlete, was uh, the impact you had on others. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm not letting up there either. So, you know, in my life, uh, I was able to perform as an athlete and then perform as a coach, and you know, and that entertained a lot of people and it made differences in their lives. You know, that's that's so valuable. But then your own family. You know, and then like right now, there's, you know, doing this podcast and then uh, 
I mean, like, for example, there's a painting out there. It's called The Art of the Fight. And uh, and then there's, I got a nutrition drink out there. And then there's a celebratory drink out there. And, and then uh, I got a couple books out there. You know, those types of things reach people. But it's about my sport, too. And it's about uh, having a passion for something, whether it's your family or your sport or what you do. And just the, the fact that... Uh, that I have a wife of 46 years and I can guarantee you I can go back in those 46 years and show you how vulnerable it was at times where it wasn't going to go on to the next year but two people had to work it out and make it work for you Dan what does greatness mean what makes something great it's not really one accomplishment after another, but it's one good day after another. So we're not perfect. <laughs> we know that. But by working towards that perfection, we certainly have the better opportunity to experience much more good times. You never stop learning. You never stop learning. For me in wrestling, they okay. They, you you look and you talk. You look at the guy's style. So you look at me. I had a, a good fireman's carry. I had a good outside single. I had a good double leg. I had a good head to outside shot. But you know what? Just take those four moves. And when you think that you're doing something really good. You're doing the moves to only one side of the body. So say I just said four or five moves there. If you can do those same moves to the other side of the body, you have 10 moves instead of four or five moves. And then you go about all the other skills and techniques and positions. So it's like a never ending learning. And how good can you be? Oh. Never stop being good or better. Following Dan's Olympic career, he was inducted into the Olympic Hall of Fame, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, as well as pretty much every other Hall of Fame there is. Dan, being an Iowa man at heart, still lives in Iowa with his family. Dan, thank you so much for your time and stories and outlook on life. We look forward to getting together in person and sharing a Dan Gable celebratory drink soon. Special thank you to Rule 29 for giving us the space and resources to create this show. And also a big thanks to Steve Wick, our famous audio engineer. You know, Justin, he's just like getting together with a good friend that you haven't done a podcast with in a long time. So true. Just tell him how you feel without sounding like a girl for once. I miss you so much it hurts sometimes. Okay, um, you've had a rough day, so I'm going to let that go for now. Thank you. Also, big thanks to our friend Dave Gould for setting this all up. Dave, thanks, buddy. Well, you know, if you make me popular enough... Uh, because Dave Gould's working on a movie on me right now. I know. I don't know, if you know that. They, they asked if I would be you instead of Chris <laughs> Pratt. Wow, Dan laughed a little too quick at that joke. Hey, Justin, um, you might want to teach him some manners sometime. I know he's like way older than me, but I'm pretty sure he could still just whip my tail. I think we're in agreement there. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> hey, buddy. It's good being on the show with you again. Hey, good to be back with you too.